This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast, sponsored by Cards Accepted. I'm Elliot Jackson and unfortunately George Smith is under the weather this week, but we have drafted in a January edition. Delighted to say Brady from Andy Takes That Chance podcast is back with me to go through this weekend's championship action. Brady, welcome back to the podcast. A second outing for you this season. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me on again. Good to know, you know, I'm impressed on my debut and you've called me back to the squad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, George will be back from injury hopefully next week, but who knows if uh, if he can get his place back in the squad. We'll certainly see. A busy weekend of championship action to go through. Obviously, it was the FA Cup last weekend, so took a little bit of a pause to uh, to refresh our batteries with a busy schedule that's just been. But looking forward to getting into this weekend's action. And I think the, the highlight of the weekend was the early kickoff for me, certainly sat in the uh, press lounge at the Hawthorns catching the back end of Coventry City 3, Leicester City 1. A really, really good game. Obviously, a, uh, a Midlands derby, which they've not had for so many years. Um, the reverse fixture, obviously, this weekend was the reverse fixtures of the opening weekend of the season, which always just stick in your mind a little bit, don't they, more? Where you can almost remember who played everyone because most of the games were on the TV with the Premier League following after the weekend after. And, of course, Leicester nicked that one 2-1 back in August uh, with a brace from Keenan Dewsbury Hall. And Coventry got their own back. They got the bragging rights on this occasion. And obviously there were some crucial moments that dictated the swing of this one. But Coventry's form in general has been so good recently. So it's no real shock for them to get this scalp. They're now unbeaten in eight. They've won five of those and it's taken them up to sixth in the table. And it really does feel like they are the form team in the division at the moment taking out, obviously, the big guns like Southampton, um, like Leicester. They they feel like the big risers at the minute. They've come through that pack. The, I, I wasn't really con- convinced about the goal they conceded. Bobby Thomas's tackle on Keenan Dewsbury Hall. He gets a lot of the ball for me, and I, I understand that that's not enough in today's game to you know mitigate any sort of foul, but I don't know. I just feel like, how else do you expect him to win the ball? Or what more can he do? Penalty was given. In fairness, Mark Robbins after the game didn't have any complaints and said he did catch him high. So maybe that's me. Maybe I'm still living in the uh, in the early 2000s. But I don't know. I just thought he got a lot of the ball. And similarly with the the Fatuu tackle sent off just before half time, which obviously is a massive talking point in the in this game. It's late, and I think the force is what probably does him because it, it, he is endangering probably the safety of an opponent, which is what the uh, the buzzword isn't it when you, you're deeming whether it's a a yellow or a red, probably in that orange category that everyone likes to talk about. I don't know. I, I personally, in a derby match, would quite like to see that being a yellow card, but I don't think it's um, certainly not an error or a gaff by any chance. That said, Leicester obviously won the up at the break and Coventry's fight back was so impressive. They, they get themselves level in the 78th minute. Um, Callum O'Hare with a great strike, great bit of footwork to manoeuvre the angle and fire it through uh, fast and past Hermanson in goal. And it was an onslaught from there, really. Leicester just couldn't get out. Coventry did really well to sustain their attacks. Um, I thought Ben Sheaf in midfield was fantastic. And then they get themselves in front. They get the the lift off, if you like. Van Ivik for 2-1, volleyed into the corner from a second f- phase of a set piece into the bottom corner. And the stadium just erupts. And 
I think Coventry deserved it on the balance of play for the way, yes, they're going to have most of the ball with the fact that they're down to 10 men, but I was really impressed by the way they sustained their attacks. They do all, they did all the right things that you're meant to do when you play against 10 men, which we so often don't see teams do. Um, they stretch the pitch, they use the wide areas really well, combination plays. And in Callum O'Hare, they've really got someone who is probably the form player in the championship right now, but certainly off the top of my head. And it feels like he has been a big part of them raising their levels. So much of last season was about Jokerez and Harmer. But having O'Hare, who who's basically come back like a new signing for them, he, he was on that level before he got injured. Um, and Coventry still got to within a penalty kick away from the Premier League without him. So to have him back and to have the other new signings like Van Ivek, who scored, settling back into the team... Um, it's no no surprise that Coventry are now starting to really click into the, into gear, find some rhythm. And then obviously the icing on the cake was the third for Callum O'Hare. Brilliant strike, great technique to volley that on the left foot um, into the far corner. The pace he hits it at from such close range almost felt a little bit unfair on Hermanson, to be quite honest. But yeah, Coventry, definitely the form team in the division right now, it feels Brady and, and really picking up some momentum. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I, I was having a look and it's 18 points from a possible 24, I think. And, you know, Coventry, they've got a good run coming up. And he touched on Callum O'Hare. He's a player I've always liked. Again, it's just the, the injury problems, really. You know, he has shown the quality in this division quite a few times. And I think it's six in the last nine for him. Um, it's an interesting one because he's out of contract at the end of the season. So, you know, if you're a Sky Blues fan, obviously you'd like to see him put them pen to paper over there. Um, but that could be an interesting one to watch. But yeah, I thought Coventry were really good. Um, second time they've only in 18, uh, they've only beaten Leicester. But I agree with you, they fully deserved it. You touched on the kind of key points of the match, and I, I do agree with you with the, with the challenge for Leicester's penalty. I think he gets the ball, and yes, the momentum carries him, but. To you know, to Derby, you want you want to see that, and I kind of feel that's what leads leads to the red. You know, emotions are running high, and you know, as much as I don't want to criticise referees, I certainly think when you're in the stadium, we talk a lot about that kind of energy and the, the temperatures rising. I think that also contributes to to why that is a red. I, I, I think it is reckless, but you know, Leicester, it's one of them. It's it's perfect for Coventry because they can look at it and say, you know, we beat the league leaders deservedly. And, um, you know, we can kind of push on from here and they've got a good run coming up. And I think for Leicester, they don't really need to worry. You know, for me, you know, first loss in 10, I think. They're still going to win the league very, very easily. So be interested to see whether they bounce back, though, because obviously they've got it switch in the next game. So that'll be a, an interesting one to watch. There's always, um, every team always has a little bit of a blip. And I wonder if, you know, if they don't get the win against it, switch then maybe that's uh, Leicester's little uh, little blip. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> I saw someone tweet after the game, actually, that um, uh, a little bit salty saying, well done, Coventry, deserved your win. Only 21 points behind Leicester now. And that that, that sums it up because Leicester are still going to win the league at a canter, aren't they? But it does keep things potentially interesting, as you say, with that Ipswich game coming up. And that is a lovely segue because they got their first victory in five against Sunderland, a comeback win in the games in the day's late kickoff. Um, and it felt like a significant win, especially from the fact they did have to show some resilience, did have to show some bounce back ability because they, of course, went behind to a, an absolute pile driver from Jack Clark. Really weird trajectory in the way that it, it just, it kept rising almost as it hit the net. And like he it didn't even, didn't even try for it. It just, it was optically quite a weird goal, a brilliant goal, a brilliant strike. Um, but a big, big, moment for Ipswich getting themselves back level because they'd had some pressure. I think Caden Jackson had already missed quite a good opportunity and 
With George Hurst out at the minute, they are actively looking for a striker in the January transfer market. They've had a bid not back already for Sam Gallagher at Blackburn. They've been sniffing around Jay Stansfield as well, who's who's obviously on loan from Fulham at Birmingham. And he's been much maligned throughout his Ipswich career, Caden Jackson. He's had plenty of highs, but he's also had some lows. But I thought he took the goal really nicely. He's a little bit of touch of fortune with the way it sort of ricochets through, but he makes no mistake, buries it, good curling finish into the far corner. And then the skipper, the man that, that probably, alongside Broadhead, has probably been the player that stood out the most for Ipswich this season, Connor Chaplin. I feel like with Ipswich, you know, if we were building a team of the season, you might not actually have that many Ipswich players in, despite how lofty they are in the league. And I think that's the, because they are ultimately better than the sum of their parts. They are not a team of individuals. But probably Chaplin, Broadhead, Leif Davies at left-back, they have been the best players. And, and when they've got injuries, when they're obviously on probably their poorest run of the season, um, Chaplin stepped up, great header. Not at the start, sparkling best by any means, Ipswich. They still gave up plenty of chances. Flaggy playing, you know, very dicey behaviour, playing out from the back. Um, so they had a good opportunity to get level, but missed that. But yeah, I think this is a really important win for Ipswich, particularly with Southampton breathing right down their necks because I think a lot of people after 26 games, although Ipswich have done so well, probably just waiting for them to fall away. So important for them that with the injuries they've got, with the um, the momentum not really with them at the moment, that they got over the line and, and got a good win here at Portman Road. Yeah, absolutely. And you see spot on with what you say about how it's a team effort. I, I mean... One person that has stood out for me is Leif Davis. I mean, he's been incredible. I mean, 10, 10 assists from left-back is fantastic achievement, never mind for, for a defensive player traditionally. And, you know, he, I suppose it, it feels very similar to, you know, being a Huddersfield fan. It's a bit like Toffolo in the season where we reach the playoffs. It's just, you know, it's not necessarily him who's taken the plaudits, but it's kind of like a nice player you can point at and say this is how good a team they've been but yeah they've been really good I think what's interesting to me about Ipswich is again like you say you know they've started really well and people are accepting them to fall away just because of who they're competing with you know um, Southampton and Leeds like you say but I just think since they lost George Hurst who, who is for me a very very good striker you know they have to tweak their approach slightly and been a bit more solid defensively and you really saw that in this game you know I know we're going to probably come on to Sunderland but Sunderland, although um, you know things aren't great for them at the moment, they do have the attacking players. You touched on Jack Clark, though, who, who can win games for them single-handedly with their individual quality. And it was it was a good performance from Ipswich. I think they like, say they wrote their luck, but um, I think this is a, like a good result. And you know, hopefully, like say they're going into the Leicester game, maybe gives them a bit of momentum and a bit of confidence going into that. Yeah, confidence, absolutely. That I completely agree that that's what they, they needed as much of anything rather than... So I don't think the performances have been bad in the, the five-game run. They've, they've just not had that same attacking flair that we've seen for most of the season. It's not quite clicked in the final third as well. Understandable with the injuries, as we've said. But defensively, it's been probably the weakness all season. And just tightening up a little bit in that sense, they've still got, um, still got Burgess out, of course, at the moment. So... A good win for them, good for the momentum going into that all-important Leicester game. Sunderland, I know fans and fans were obviously not particularly enamoured with sacking Tony Mowbray. They're even less enamoured with bringing in Mick Beal. But I feel like you can't... He's six games in, isn't he? I still think that let's see how the remainder of the season plays out. Let's see how the summer looks. We know he's not going to have the autonomy over the transfer market because of the structure of how Sunderland recruit. So I feel like we have to judge him 
based as a head coach and his time on the training ground and can he improve players? And no one's going to know decisively on that over a six-game period. That's for sure. The reason Ipswich have got to be so on their game at the moment is because of Southampton. They are now a club record equaling 19 games unbeaten and thumping Sheffield Wednesday 4-0 at the weekend. Sheffield Wednesday that have been quite resurgent, of course, on Danny Rill with five wins in eight before the weekend. Six in nine, if you count the FA Cup triumph against Cardiff City as well. Championship opposition, albeit much changed 11. So this was not not as straightforward as it could have been. And I think probably quite a few would have avoided this game with Southampton at a short price and probably worried that Wednesday were going to go and boost a, uh, burst a coupon or two. But they were just fantastic. And, and the way they are playing at the moment, they, they scored some great goals. Shea Adams, uh, Adam Armstrong, Ryan Fraser, with all, all some very nice finishes. But the pick of the bunch was the fourth one for Sekou Mara. Slick passing, pressing high, winning the ball back. Lovely one-touch movements, patterns of play. Lovely ball across and a, a very simple tapping for Sekou Mara. And it won't make, you know, the end of the season, goals of the season highlight reels, but passing moves like that. And we saw one very similar with Ipswich earlier in the season, which probably will because of the finish that Wes Burns bent into the top corner. But it just shows a succinctness. It shows a lack of clarity in their passages of play and their understanding, their their combination play with their teammates. And that is what a Russell Martin side is built on. And, and the way they have clicked into gear since that four-game losing run that they had in September is really, really impressive. They've not lost since the 2-1 defeat to Middlesbrough, which is which was like the eighth game of the season, obviously, because they're now 19 unbeaten. So any other season, they, they'd have pulled themselves right into second. Obviously, the points tally to be in the autos is very high this season. Usually two points per game would get you there. Southampton have hit that. And it is very difficult, despite what we've just said about Ipswich and the fact they're not going away, it's very difficult to not feel like Southampton are just lurking in the rearview mirror and will eventually go on go on the uh, go on the overlap and overtake Ipswich because the quality they've got in reserve and, and what we spoke about in the last month is is different players contributing. You know, Shea Adams, Ryan Fraser, Sekumar have not been household names this season. They've not started every game but they're getting a lot out of their squad players. You know, Jolaribo, the same before he's gone off to, to AFCON. So it, it just feels like Southampton really, really clicking into the, their top gear now and, and putting uh, putting their foot to the floor. They've been frightening. I think, if you you know, you talk about Ipswich there, but as much as I've kind of praised Ipswich, they're the one for me that are right, not that second spot, like you say. I mean, they're just, yeah, they're, they're a scary team. I think, like you say, it's all clicking and you can see and, like you say, as a neutral, if, you, if you're watching Southampton, they're a bit of a joy to watch at times. And but you talked about Adam Armstrong in that. I mean, is he in that Rob Earnshaw category, you know, too good? Because he's been unreal this season. It's 14 goals and 11 assists um, in 27 league games. So that's near like a goal contribution. Yeah, it's a 2024 Jordan Rhodes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good shout. Um, let's not talk about Jordan Rhodes uh, as my team struggles for goals and he's still technically a Huddersfield Town player. But um, yeah, like... He's he's been phenomenal, and um, you know, like you said, their quality is really showing. And um, I think again, Ipswich are, are fighting against some, you know, teams with Premier League money. You look at Leeds and Southampton, but I think Southampton are just playing well, and you kind of have to give them credit. And, and for Wednesday, you know, yes, it's never nice to lose four nil, but I think it's one of them where you can you can look at it and you know, kind of shrug your shoulders and move on to the next one, and not really take too much from it. Um, it's just you know, Southampton are a good team. You're playing away from home and. That's going to happen um, to teams, you know, and certainly that won't be the last time this season. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't think from a Wednesday point of view there'll be any major concern. Probably would have liked to have kept the score down a little bit more for the goal difference perspective because we never know how tight things might get at the bottom. But Saints, well, I know we've said about Coventry, but in terms of in a more extended run of form, Southampton definitely the form team in the division at the moment. Uh, Leeds United, they for many weeks expect we expected them to be the team that would take over, take Ipswich and get into second if someone was going to, but. For the, they look kind of destined to finish fourth at the minute now because they're not hitting the levels of um, Southampton or Ipswich at the moment, considering they're behind on points, but they are far better than everyone else below them. And, and again, just another sign of their dominance in a 3-0 win at Cardiff City, a cut above, and they just dominated the match. Patrick Bamford's renaissance continues to catch the eye. Obviously, everyone's seen the stunning volley he scored in the FA Cup at Peterborough last, um, last weekend. Even the stewards were celebrating that one. And it's free and free for him now uh, with a really scruffy goal where, you know, it's very typical of a striker's look. And I feel like Patrick Bamford in particular embodies this of a striker. He's either missing sitters and penalties as he was earlier in the season or he's scoring worldly volleys and literally like he's on the floor and the ball just falls to him to tap in whilst he's on the floor. And that just wouldn't have happened two months ago because that is that is the look of a striker. And it just feels like Bamford embodies that so much. He, he's like... He's probably going to have an amazing highlight reel of good goals and great poacher finishes, but he could have an equally as terrible one for the misses he's had this, uh, not even this season, but of course the, uh, across his career. But things are falling for him now. It's meant a slight changing role for Jorginho Ruta, who, you know, there's quite a big debate in the Leeds fan base whether he should have been playing as a 10 and Joel Perot playing as the striker anyway. And um, Daniel Farker kind of put that down to, you know, Ruta's a much better presser. Um, and therefore he was playing as the striker, Perot as the 10. We saw Perot play a lot as a 10 at Swansea as well, but he does seem to suit this role playing behind Bamford, as, who is quite comfortable being the target man. Ruta has been more of an assister this season, although he, he rounded off a really nice move with the third. And now Leeds, you know, they're, they're, they're building some good momentum. Ampadu at centre-back with Stroik and Cooper out. They've let go of Luke Ayling, so... They're a little bit threadbare. There's definitely some work they need to do in the transfer window. They want to bring in some some fullbacks, Connor Roberts, someone um, who is of interest. I think they probably could do the left back as well because Firpo's been in and out. Byram, I don't think you can trust him to stay fit throughout the course of the season. But even if they are slightly patched up across the squad, still doing a great job and still far better than everyone, basically, that isn't called Leicester, Ipswich or Southampton. Mm, yeah, and, and Daniel Farker described it. I think it was their most mature performance of the season. And they, you, you touched on it there that they were just so much superior compared to Cardiff, and that's the third three nil win in a row in all competitions. So yeah, they're looking. You know, obviously they had those defeats over Christmas to Preston, but um, yeah, they're looking they're looking good. Uh, and again. You know, I don't want to wax too lyrical about Leeds, given uh, my, my allegiances. But um, yeah, I just I think they've got a lot of interesting players. And you know, obviously some of those I know he missed the penalty in this one, but um, he's always one that catches the eye. And like you say, with Bamford, he he's, they have options. So you know, like you know Perot, but they can bring in Bamford. I feel like yeah, they're they're going to be up there. And you know, this I, I think you'd be pretty silly to not back them for the. Um, to, to make the playoffs and, and make an impact in the playoffs because I think, you know, over two leg games, they've they've got the quality to beat most teams, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You look at someone like Jaden Anthony, who was, who was a key part of Bournemouth's squad that got promoted a couple of seasons ago. Not, you know, he's been a squad player for Leeds. The same for Willie Nonto, who 
looked like one of the best players in the division in the early week, and then he fell out of the team because he wanted to leave, and Crisensio Somerville went, yep, thank you, I'll have your place very much, and he's very much become the, the star boy for Leeds United, uh, and they, they continue to march on. Um, the game I was at at the weekend at the Hawthorns, West Brom 4, Blackburn Rovers 1. We'll go. I'll touch on West Brom before the absolute car crash that is Blackburn Rovers at the moment, but West Brom were, were utterly dominant in this game. A great performance. It really was an embodiment of men versus boys. They were given a huge helping hand by some horror defending from Blackburn Rovers, which will not come as a surprise to anyone that's watched the championship. They are now the worst defence in the in the division with 52 goals conceded in 27 games. And the defending for all four goals was pretty horrific. The first, a long throw-in, which was allowed to bounce in the six-yard box, which, you know, I play Sunday League. I'd be pretty disappointed if we conceded that goal yesterday because... Neither of the centre-halves win the header. The goalkeeper is rooted to his spot and doesn't make, just not proactive enough to come and do anything about it. And Leopold Wallstead's been very costly for Blackburn Rovers um, over the last month or so. The second one is a very loose header from Hyam, albeit a brilliant strike from Brandon Thomas Sante into the far corner. I think it's a goal that you'd say is great opportunism if you're a West Brom fan, very poor defending if you're a Blackburn and then three minutes later, they give Alex Mauer all the time he wants to put a cross in. Well, a cross comes shot. It's a bit fortunate how it ricochets off Wallstead and hits Hyman goes in. But if you if you don't defend well and you, you're not aggressive enough, then teams will punish you at the championship. And we've seen across 27 games, Blackburn have just not been able to defend their box well enough. West Brom were fantastic. I was really impressed with them. Probably their biggest criticism is a lack of goals, is a lack of firepower. But they scored four and they could have had five or six. And when you've got someone like Thomas Asante, who, who feels like he's really growing into the role as a, a leading championship striker in the division, and you can bring Daryl DK off the bench, now fit again for the last 20 minutes, you're in a pretty good spot, really. And it feels like West Brom have always been searching for a number nine. That's what's been missing. But when you think they've, had, they've got Thomas Asante, who's growing into the role, they spent a lot of money on Daryl DK. And they've got Josh Mazur as well, who's now injured um, till April time. They have got options in there. You just forget because they've been so badly injured. Um, but yeah, West Brom really starting to consolidate themselves as the best of the rest. Um, and Corbrand, Corbrand just does a fantastic job there. When you consider the backdrop of their financial issues and the fact that they've got a you know a completely um, walkaway owner, the the job he's doing is you know I was talking to the the West Brom journalist um, at the weekend and. It's pretty much still Steve Bruce's squad. If you look who he's brought in, he's brought Alex Mowat back from loan. He's brought Pipper in, who obviously did well for him at Huddersfield. Um, and that's about it in terms of the starting eleven at the weekend. You know, at the weekend they've got Tom Fellows, who's an academy graduate on one wing, and Adam Reach, who hasn't was it, I think it was his first start since April, um, on the other wing. So he continues to get a lot out of this squad. And obviously, I know you're a huge fan, but but I think he. He is doing one of the best jobs in the league when you consider the backdrop of, of Albion's injuries and all, and also the financial issues. Yeah, I mean, again, just going on his time at Huddersfield, I think what really appealed to us is obviously Huddersfield, we're not one of the, the biggest teams in terms of wage budget and quality, but I almost feel like that, you know, in some ways it suits uh, Corbyn having his hands tied behind his back because it means he just work with what he's got. And um, yeah, you know, he set up, he sets them up um, really well. I've, I've kind of seen it with, West Brom as well, but what made him really good at us was he was just really good at being defensively solid and taking chances when they've, when they've come. That, and, that's you know. really interesting, isn't it, when you think of the evolution? Because when he first came in, it was a bit of a car crash in the first year or in terms of really swashbuckling football attacking, but they were so leaky at the back that you were wondering whether they could sustain it. And then 
it almost felt like over preseason, he just changed into this defensive pragmatist that just knew how to set a team up. A game that still like really sticks in my head is when Huddersfield went to Fulham and won. Mm-hmm. Um, was it 2-0, 2-1? Two, I remember yeah. the winning. But the way they played in that first half particularly, and he set them up in the 4-4-2 um, with, I think it was O'Brien pretty much pressing as a second striker. The way they dominated that game and how good they were out of possession that season. And he's doing the same at West Brom. It just, it just, just such a transformation from that first season he had at Huddersfield. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny you touched about Lewis O'Brien there. Um, I, th- I can't remember it was one of the videos, but he said, we're the sponge, you know, we soak it all up and then, you know, like dish it out. And that's, it's kind of like West Brom. But the, I think the difference is, obviously, you talked about some of the striking options they've got. Um, you know, they have people who can take their chances. But, you know, Carlos Corbin, I think he's he's a good manager and he, he's shown his credentials at this level. And, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, I know Rovers have been in, in terrible form. It's, you know, seven losses in the last nine for them. And I'm sure people of the Blackburn persuasion definitely want to hear me talk about it rather than you, Elliot. But um, I suppose for me, you know, I know it's a young team and, yeah, we've given a lot of credit to West Brom, but I've seen quite a few people talking about the the question about um, Thomas's game management, you know, John Donald Thomas. And I just... I wonder if that's, a, again, I suppose it's, you know, 3-0 after 33 minutes, game's kind of done. But, um, yeah, I think, I don't know if there's questions to be asked there because the Rovers are looking really bad at the moment. They are they are the worst team in the league at the moment on form, certainly over the last nine league games where they've won once, lost seven. You quite rightly point that out. The, 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 the 52 goals conceded in 27 games, they've nearly conceded two goals a game on average across the entirety of the season. This is not a, a five-game run of form we're talking about. This is the entire season. They've conceded two or more in 10 of their last 11 games. Those are alarming statistics. And whilst I don't think for one second Rovers are going to get relegated, they've got to get the season back on track. They've got four home games in a row now, obviously starting with Huddersfield at the weekend. Um, they play QPR, they play Stoke and an FA Cup fourth-round tie against Wrexham as well. If you can't get your season back on track in those games with no disrespect to the opponents, you're in trouble, really, because those are teams all, all below or in and around them. So they've got to see an improvement, really, because things are getting a bit spiky for, for Yondal Thompson. The fan base is getting frustrated. There's a lot of um, outspokenness from him about the January transfer windows, a lot of uncertainty with the Venkies and what they might be able to do. So, yeah, Blackburn definitely one to keep an eye on for for a neutral, and and obviously I am the uh, the living embodiment of that at the moment, particularly in the January window. So, yeah, things uh things have been better at Ewood, and and definitely one to keep an eye on. Just terrible defending, schoolboy stuff, and their issues from set pieces, their issues with the goalkeeper continue to undermine them, and I'm sure Huddersfield will be looking to take advantage at the weekend. Um, Middlesbrough, they are on a decent run themselves, having beat Chelsea in the week in the Carabao Cup semi-final. And it really, do you know what? It really wouldn't have surprised me if they then went and lost at the Den, particularly with Millwall being in better form. Of course, they, they beat Millwall 3-1. Um, and after, a, say, a high a, a midweek high, it could have been quite easy for them to, to go under against um, Joe Edwards' side. They went behind to a pretty impressive strike from Joe Bryan. Question of offside interference with play with Kevin Nisbet stood in and around the goalkeeper. Um, but it was allowed to stand. But yeah, the second half performance from Middlesbrough was was really impressive. And I still think that Middlesbrough might go on a run, you know. I still fancy them that they are... If I look at the pack that's sort of below West Brom and think, who could string a run of six wins in seven together, etc. Obviously, Coventry are in six at the moment. I think I don't think Sunderland are quite consistent enough to do that, although I think they've got the quality to win pretty much many most one-off games. 
And I think Middlesbrough are the sort of team that could definitely still put a run together. I know it's a very young squad. They've got some terrible injuries. They're, they're probably worst affected in terms of injuries across the, the championship at the moment. But when you look at that second half performance, you know, you've got Finazaz who's just come in, pulling the strings in midfield. Um, Morgan Rogers seems to be growing into, into the role, into the club. Um, he played sort of in a more central attacking role. Sam Greenwood playing off the left. Really good assist for Engel to equalise. And Isaiah Jones is, is always going to be a threat in that advanced right role um, with his pacing behind and with the quality we know he's had for the last couple of years in the Championship. So I don't know if, if for me, a bit of, if I had to pick one team out of the sort of pack underneath West Brom and Coventry at the moment, I still think Middlesbrough could string a run of results together and, and really catapult themselves into that picture because it, it's sort of been one step forward, two step backs for most of the season. And that is understandable with the injuries. But I just think with the addition of Azaz, if they can get a few more of those players back in, into the um, into the squad, they could be a real force in the second half of the season. Mm, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, I saw um, they, I saw them beat Huddersfield two one, and although I thought it was quite an even game, they just, you know, they got out there with a win, and it, I just think it was a bit, it was a bit similar here. Like, I think they were queuing up for the equaliser, but. And I thought it was poor defending from Millwall, maybe a bit unlucky for, for Jones's uh, finishing. But like you say, they do have those players in the squad that can can just like tip tip the balance and get them results. And I think that's very impressive, particularly you know, like you say, Millwall have been in good form, and you know, to get to get a three-one win is is good going. And I agree with you. I just whenever I've seen them play, I, I suppose as an as a you know neutral watching at times, I'm kind of just thinking like it's all. I can kind of see it. It's all there. But it's just not quite click, like you say. So, you know, you'd assume with that that it is event, it's going to click, and maybe they will go on a run. And yeah, I, I, I don't think that's a bad shout at all. I could certainly see them in the mix, particularly when you think they are, like you say, LeBron is as and um, who's been fantastic for Plymouth. I, I think a couple more additions, and yeah, they could really be uh, knocking on the door. In terms of those teams that are chasing um, fifth and sixth, Brady. Hull, they, they've really stuttered of late and, and although they've, they've made a big splash in the transfer window bringing in Fabio Carvalho, things not quite clicking for Liam Rossini's side at the moment. They lost on Friday night 2-1 to Norwich City. A, a disappointing result, particularly when, I suppose it's a double-edged sword, fans getting very excited about the investment and rightly so because, you know, they had a lot of disappointing and underwhelming seasons under the Alam family when they owned it. So to have someone um, like Ajun Ilajili who's investing so much money into the club that's really exciting but it does bring you know increased expectation and although we we highly rate Liam Rossini he's going for a little bit of a sticky spell at the minute again I feel like I've said this with every team and it maybe there's something deeper to be said about this but they have got injuries um every team seems to at the minute more so than most seasons I don't I don't know why but um yeah Hull's hopes of a top six finish not not great at the minute a poor run of form they brought Carvalho in. Scott Twine has been recording on to Bristol City. Um, but yeah, they still look... They, I feel like they're, they're, they're heavy loading all these attacking players. And defensively, it's probably been the biggest issue all season. That's That's been where they've been softest. Probably in goal as well, although I, they are in talks to sign a new goalkeeper from Turkey. Um, the first goal, obviously, a fantastic individual run from John Rowe, one of the, the breakthrough stars of the season. Probably certainly up there for, for young player of the season um, and breakthrough star, really good run. And then it was a, a barrage of pressure, a real siege on the uh, on the Norwich goal. Angus Gunn solidifying himself as probably one of the better goals, uh, the shot stoppers outside of sort of the top six, the top 10, 
some really good saves, particularly one from Regan Slater from range. Um, and then they're, they're putting, this is what I'm talking about before, they're putting all this pressure on, they're really penning Norwich in. And then they give away a really soft goal. It's just a cross into the box and Fastnack gets in front of his man, flicked header, and, and Norwich managed to expose that soft centre and go 2-0 up. Um, Tyler Mortar pulls one back. But I just feel like maybe Huller chucking so much at the top end of the pitch. You know, Liam Delap's now injured, so they might well go for a striker or Manuel Benson's been heavily linked from Burnley. I don't really see any links about centre-backs. And, you know, Jacob Greaves is obviously very highly rated, but Alfie Jones, could they get an upgrade on him with the sort of money they're spending in other areas, maybe? Is Louis Coyle up to it? I know he's the club captain, but could they get a better right-back, maybe? Um, Left-back's been a problem area all season, really, for them with, with various injuries. So, I don't know. I feel like that, that back five, including the goalkeeper, is probably where Hull should be spending more of their attention. And yet... Seems like they're, they're going to try and score the way into the top six if they can, but not really working for them at the moment. No, and I was I was looking at kind of the what the fans were saying with this one, and I saw one of the descriptions was uh, weak at the back and blunt in attack. And um, again, another team we were talking about here, maybe some of the criticisms is relying too heavily on individual brilliance um, for them to win games. You talked about Cavalier, who they've signed on loan. That's certainly a man catching addition in the league, but. Maybe that will help. I mean, it's, they've lost four of the last five league games, so like you say, it's a bit of a sticky spell. Um, and it's no surprise that's coincided with Jaden Philogene being injured, as you say, maybe slightly over-reliant on his his brilliance in the first half of the season. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like you say, they've got an ambitious owner, so you know they might make a few more additions in January. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, I, I know you talked about Jonathan Rowe. I mean, he's been an absolute gem for Norwich, hasn't he? You know, fantastic goal in this game. And you know, sometimes... You lose games to good goals. And I suppose the other thing we, I wanted to talk about here, and maybe I'm just causing a debate for a reason here, but I could not believe that uh, the Angus Gunn, Aaron Connolly and the free kick for Aaron I was, going to, I was going to come on to that. that I mean, that that's a red card, isn't it? Like We talked earlier about endangering a, of an opponent with the Fatawu challenge for Leicester. That... It, it, it sends him into next week. That's that's uh, you, you wouldn't be surprised if you saw that in WWE. No, and I know with keepers, like from my limited uh, playing experience, obviously you jump up in these to kind of protect yourself. But still, like I think it's it's one of them. I suppose, like you say, you've got to send him off if you give him the foul. But to give it against, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I think you know. Unfortunately, we see those kind of happen every week in, in the uh, you know weekend fixtures, but uh, something contentious but yeah it was just uh it baffled me it certainly made me laugh I suppose if you're a whole fan you'll, you'll be uh you know kind of incredulous about that really but yeah I, 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 I don't know just just want to yeah absolutely there was another one in fact in the first half as well with Giannoulis getting away with a with an elbow um which could have easily been a red card if that had been picked up properly by the officials Hull, Hull fans probably feeling a little bit aggrieved given the Tyler Morton red card against Sheffield Wednesday which I don't necessarily think it was the wrong decision, but it did get overturned. So the officials clearly did. So probably not getting on the right side of um, of a few results at the moment. Queen's Park Rangers were beaten 2-1 by Watford on Sunday. This is the uh, the Jake Livermore game. Is Jake Livermore the most QPR player to have never played for QPR? Has he not played for QPR? I find it astounding <laughs> that he's not played for both clubs. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I, I had no, I thought he had played for QPR. I swear, it's feels very Harry Redknapp, Harry Redknapp era, doesn't it of QPR? Yeah, when they had reaffirmed, they had him from Anyway, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, he, um, I don't, God, 
I didn't. I forgot what the number is, but he'd not scored in a very long time. It's fair to say I forgot what the, the number was off the top of my head. Um, and scored two in one game, having already scored a belter, to then get a big cry of shoot from the away end and to fire it into the bottom corner. And it was very, very amusing. Great limbs uh, from the Watford fans. And after um, after a couple of you know after a great run for Watford, where they picked up twenty four points in twelve games, um, going into sort of the Christmas period. A little bit of a reality check with some of the results, losing 4-1, of course, to Bristol City. So this was really good for them to get back on track. Um, and I still feel like they've not quite got enough to get into the top six this season. But I definitely think Valerie and Ismail's side of... I think Ismail's done a really good job. And I feel like he's probably exceeded expectations in some way, which sounds weird because if Watford don't get in the top six, that feels like an underachievement because of what we're used to Watford being. But considering they sold Ismail Asar, they sold Joao Pedro, it is not the team or the squad that it was last season or two years ago when they finished second in the championship. It's a completely different project at the minute. And it does feel like he's he's rejuvenated a lot of players. Livermore being one of those certainly wouldn't have been a sexy signing for, for Watford in the summer. You know, a 34-year-old on a, on a free from West Brom, but someone that Ismail has worked with before, of course, at West Brom. And he's come in and he's given them a, a great option as that holding midfielder. It's allowed Kayembe to play further forward before he went off to AFCON. It was Delhi Bashiru who moved into the middle. Um, who I, I, I've always been waiting for him to kick on since uh, since he had a really good loan at Reading. It's not quite happened. He's played in a few different roles this season. Played at right back relatively recently for the first time. But yeah, this was a really good result for Watford. Obviously, a poor result for QPR, which I'm sure you're delighted about. And it does feel like the uh, the Marty Sifuentes bubble has popped a little bit at the moment. Yeah, I think it's you know for for QPR, I'm not going to. Obviously, good for me, but I think it, this is one of those classic games where having sport in a team that's regularly battling relegation, it's just, it's kind of a typical, like you say, Livermore to get to. That feels like a very, like, oh, I'm a team in a relegation, you know, sporting a team in a relegation battle, this is what happens. And yeah, you talked about Ishmael and the stability he's brought. I, I think that's not a word you associate with Watford, but, you know, I think, it, like you say, he's, he's probably done a better job than people expect when you have a, a bit of a closer look. But yeah, QPR, I think it's just one of them. I think the, the thing with the new manager was having a look at, they can see a lot from set pieces and that wasn't necessarily the case with this one, but that's a concern, especially when you're a team, you know, down, down looking. And yeah, it's tough. I mean, obviously Huddersfield are playing them in a few weeks and that's that's going to be a real, really interesting one. But um, yeah, it's going to happen, isn't it? I think I think that's the thing when you're a team that's low on confidence and you've had a bad, bad start to the season. If, if stuff kind of, you know, if you've had a good run but it just kind of tips over into things and things aren't going your way, you can just see the confidence kind of drain out of people. So, be an interesting one to keep an eye on. And certainly, I'll be be watching with my invested interest. How how concerned are you about QPR in terms of I suppose the team that could catch Huddersfield being the team just above the bottom three? I imagine there was one period where you. Probably um, a little bit nervous with Wednesday and QPR picking up points at a good rate, but but QPR seem to have tailed off now. Is it is it more Sheffield Wednesday? I suppose you, you you're concerned about potentially overtaking you and trying to obviously reel in the teams above you um, as well. It's, it's a good question. I think QPR for me when when I looked at them, I, I always kind of felt um, you know without like knowing the ins and outs of, of Rangers, I always felt like oh they've got good players, like they'll they'll be fine. They were always the one. Yeah, Check Karen Willock probably two of the better in terms of sort of that bottom six, bottom half of the table. We were talking off air about Whitaker as well. 
Um, they, they've probably got the most individual quality as well as Plymouth in the, those third, final third areas. And you usually think that's enough to get you enough points to stay in the championship. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I suppose that's what concerned me. But I suppose, like, you know, just looking into them, obviously there's been a lot of change off the pitch as well. And I think when you're down there, um, that can go one or two ways, can't it? And I think um, that, that'll be interesting to see a lot of, you know, uh, backroom changes. So I don't know, it'll be an interesting one because I, I do think they'd really pull away and obviously they, they made a really good start. But um, I think this is the thing when you're in a relegation battle, it, you just all kind of get sucked in and no team really pulls away. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, they were the one that concerned me. I mean, Chef Wednesday, I, I know obviously we, we talked about them earlier, but... Yeah, I look at them. They're good. Obviously, we're playing them as well in a few weeks. So um, I think it's it's going to be a really kind of defining season for Huddersfield. And that's not what you asked him, but this period. So uh, I don't know. Maybe ask me in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Sticking at the bottom of the league, uh, Robin United, they were beaten 1-0 by Stoke City. Stephen Schumacher's side just starting to pull clear and string a few results together. It's been... It's been unspectacular. It's been a bit um, bit stodgy in his opening few games, but they're starting to now few little signs of green shoots uh, with him getting his feet under the table. They're unbeaten in the league since he came in. And they have got players in that squad with quality and an unbelievable strike from Lewis Baker, who is back in the fold after being completely exiled pretty much under Alex Neal. Really strange because he, he came into the club um, and had a fantastic six-month loan spell, signed permanently, was made club captain, given the number eight shirt, and pretty much made the prominence um, of Stoke City. And then just, just didn't really get a kick under Alex Neal, to be fair. I'd, I'd actually kind of forgotten that he was still in and around the squad with, with the likes of Ben Pearson, Josh Laurent, um, Valt Berger coming in in the summer and, and really usurping him. But since, um, since Stephen Schumacher's come in, uh, he's been an integral part of what he's tried to do. Was pretty much instantly recalled into the side, and his quality from set pieces is, is clear to see. An unbelievable strike into the top corner uh, to beat one of the goal keep, best goalkeepers in the division in, in Victor Johansson. And that, that's kind of where Stoke games are at the minute. There's not a lot in them. Um, he certainly made them harder to beat, which is obviously very encouraging because that was a big issue towards the back end of Neil's reign. Um, but there's not. But, but you know, I suppose progressing those more attacking passages of play, those patterns that will come over time. He'll probably need a pre-season. But between now and the end of the season, I suppose it is just trying to limp through, um, build some sort of patterns, some some coherence in the squad, work out who's going to stay and be a part of his team moving forward, work out who's not quite the right fit and what areas they need to recruit in the summer. I'm sure he'll be backed by the Coates family. Um, and yeah, Lewis Baker has been, been really good for them. They've obviously signed Luke Kundal on loan from Plymouth, a person that um, obviously, he's worked with Argyle, so he comes in and bolsters that midfield area as well with Valberger. And it's just finding the right combination in attack, which Neil was never able to do with the amount of, I think it's 19 players they brought in in the summer. Finding the right combination of three or four in that final third is something he's never been able to do. And I don't think Schumacher's done that yet, but the rest of the team is looking a lot more settled, defensively more assured, um, and Lewis Baker providing a little bit of quality that, that will probably... When you look at that squad, even if they're not spectacular by the end of the season, which I don't think anyone expects them to be, they probably will pick up enough points to make sure they're not too seriously bothered about what's below them. Mm, yeah, and I just had a little temperature check um, with some of the fans and, and they've been encouraged, like you say, even if it's not been spectacular. I mean, it's seven games unbeaten for Stoke now, even if you include the caretaker spell. So, 
I think um, it's certainly looking a bit more promising than maybe it did towards the end of the Neil. So I think if you're, uh, you know, if you spot the potters, it's, it's a good one. You know, contrast, obviously that's one win in 15 for Rotherham. Um, I mean, again, we know where my allegiances lie, but if I'm a Millers fan, I think, again, lack of creativity, it concerns me. They, they, they look bad. They need additions in this window. Again, we know with Rotherham, they're not always going to have the biggest budget and whether they can bring in those people. But, um, yeah, I just um, I think it's hard to see Rotherham without some significant changes avoiding relegation, unfortunately. I don't think, I, I obviously no one at Rotherham United would ever outwardly say this, but I think there is a sense of inevitability about their relegation. And actually, do we want to spend and, and shuck everything we've got at it? Or do we want to keep our nose clean, sort of put up a fight, but, but go down fighting and keep that money, keep the squad fresh for Liam Richardson to really mould it in in the summer? Because what they'll be able to bring in in this window, particularly for who they would be able to attract we're talking League One players generally or loan, loan additions that are unproven, aren't we? Um, so would they be better keeping their powder dry and, and you keeping those resources almost for the summer? I suppose for, for a team, it's probably really difficult because I think for most level-headed fans, they probably that is probably the reality of the situation. But you'd never want your team to sort of accept that, would you? No, certainly not. I mean, even, again, we talk about uh, that Premier League season where we were, second season where we got awful. You, you know it's coming, but it doesn't mean you like it. And you, yeah, you, you spot on there, it's kind of a case of stick or twist. I think that's, yeah, um, it's a difficult one. I suppose you can look at, like say, building on next season, whether the goal, you, the goalkeeper, Johansson, he's, he's very impressive for me. And I don't know, because they can, the thing is with Robin, they can steal games. Obviously, we saw that... Um, Forget where they go. Can at home away, they're terrible. Yeah, yeah. So who who knows? I mean, like you say, you look at that relegation fight, and there's a lot of teams you can get sucked in. And although you look at of all the teams that that are, they're probably the one with the, the biggest task of staying up. They could, you know, um, make it worse for others potentially. But yeah, um, yeah, like you say, I think um, quality showed with that Baker free kick, and yeah, not looking great for all of them. No, it was the uh, the standout moment in the game and good enough to win any match. Uh, Preston North End beat Bristol City 2-0. Not a lot happened in the first half. Bristol City probably edged it, but it was, it was quite a cagey game. Um, not not a fantastic amount of quality on show at Deepdale. And then a triple change from Ryan Lowe at half-time was pretty influential. Uh, two of those subs were Emil Reese and Will Keane. Keane scored the first, which was absolutely gifted to him, in fairness, by a, a complete howler from Max O'Leary. I really felt that once they sold Daniel Bentley um, last January, Bristol City, they needed to bring a goalkeeper in because O'Leary had a run last season between January and the end of the season. He didn't convince me he was good enough to be a championship number one. They've stuck with him in the summer and he's pulled off some good saves, but I still think it's a real weakness in their squad overall. And, and that was a really big error. And Championship games are defined on such fine margins and, and Bristol City probably edged the first half and then you go 1-0 down. It doesn't take a lot for, for games to swing like that. The second goal was a, a good piece of quality and Reese, who's, who's been on the sidelines for the best part of a year now with a, with a, an ACL injury, um, he's just edging his way back and he was a real asset for Preston North End when he was fully fit and uh, when he was firing not that long ago. They were, they were fending off bids in the summer for him. Really nice cross. Keane gets across the man at the front post and it's a good finish. And it's a big win for Ryan Lowe. Fair play to him because I think he can be criticised, sometimes over the top. Um, 
about not changing it, being too wedded to this 3-5-2, but they have changed things slightly this season. We've seen them be a bit more 3-4-3. We've seen them play with a back four, certainly in possession at times, and making a triple sub at half-time is pretty brave, pretty bold, something we don't see every week, and it, it helped Preston. It was a big contributing factor in them getting an important victory at Deepdale. Yeah, definitely. Um, we, we had a Preston friend on, on recently, Beth, and, and she made the point that she wasn't so sure about um, Ryan Lowe and his, his in-game stuff when it goes wrong. So like you said, to make a triple sub and it to work off you, as much as you can criticise him and Preston fans have, um, you know, recently kind of got to give him credit there as well and, you know, ended a run of three straight defeats for Preston as well. Um, it is an interesting one with Ryan, Ryan Lowe. I know you and George have talked about it and the style of play and, um, you know, again looking at what people were saying after this um, state of execution was kind of mentioned a few times really so they're still still not really happy with things at deep down at the moment but um, I've got to be honest I wasn't expecting this as a result you know I think Bristol they're a bit of an interesting team for me they kind of always um, again they're kind of one I always expect to to do better maybe they do they've lost two in a row now but um, yeah, yeah, like I said, probably a, a much-needed result for Ryan Lowe, whether it you know gets um, Preston fans off his back a little bit. And I've seen some of the interviews, again, you touched on it there. That's been a bit bit eye-catching, but um, I suppose we'll have to wait and see. But it's hard when uh, fans get on your back. You have to do a lot to kind of you know, turn them around, don't you? Yeah, it feels like that's been the case for Daniel Farker at... Uh, not Daniel Farker, for David Wagner at Norwich uh, for the last two months, and he's still going. I think results with Preston are pretty okay over, like, over the course of the season. The problem is they started so well and they've been pretty terrible since. But points-wise, and if you jumbled the results up, they're about where they should be. I think it comes down to fans. Increasingly, I think results will always be number one. That will always be the be-all and end-all. But it feels to me it's almost 60% results. 40% is now how you play. It is now style of play. I know Darren Moore obviously has come under a lot of criticism early, early on about that style of play at Huddersfield. And you look at the results um, for Huddersfield, we may as well come on because we we're going to come on to the draws anyway. We'll talk about the the one-all draw with Plymouth for the weekend. I think a lot of, if you look at the points tally, you look at results, Huddersfield are probably where a lot of people expected them to be, um, particularly when Warnock was the manager. But since Moore's come in, the results haven't been terrible, but the football's just been a bit uninspiring at times. And I think increasingly the football fan is going to be entertained. I don't know whether that's linked maybe to the increased price ticket pricing and things like that, but I, I, results will always be number one. Of course they will. You can play the most lovely football in the world. If you get beat every week, no one's interested. But I do think there is a, a shift almost where it's it's not level, but maybe 60% is about the results. And maybe 40, it's starting to be about what is our identity, what is our style of play. And I find that really fascinating how I feel like that mentality is shifting um, not just in fans, but but you know recruitment and the people that are um, searching for their next managers, and that's probably why we've seen such a a raft of young coaches come in, like your Liam Mannings, like Ian Foster that's just come in at Plymouth, um, and countless others. Mick Beale when he came in at QPR, there's been a lot of first time managers getting those appointments. Danny Rule at Sheffield Wednesday, and I wonder if I feel like that sort of all mixed together. Yeah, I mean, I know you talked about Huddersfield there, but I think kind of with the point with Preston, I get that a little bit more. You know, I think, like you say, style of play matters more if you're a team that's not going to get relegated, probably not going to get playoffs. I, I think it's like, yeah. you know, you pay your money, you do want to be entertained. I get that a bit more. I think I think with Huddersfield, like if we're going to talk about the game, you know, I was speaking to you before we started recording, I think it was just, again, like uh, two poor, disappointing 
disjointed sides really You're kind of pitting against one each other obviously Plymouth have had loads of loanies recalled and you know uh, the manager's gone and they've got a new man in so it wasn't really a judgment on them and, and you know as, as I know listening to this podcast like they have been terrible away but um you know they just had Whitaker and someone puts a cross in and it makes a difference and I think with Huddersfield it's really difficult to judge a judge Darren Moore for me because I think there's been loads of reasons why you know it's been a bit unfair and the honest answer is I, I can't work out if he's good or not I, again I, I know you guys um saw the tweet you did about his his uh his record as town manager but it's just you know again he was replacing someone who was doing an okay job in Neil Warnock who was loved by the fans he's had loads of injuries we've had absolutely loads of injuries at Huddersfield and he's not had a window until now to bring in the players that he wants and even the striker who was coming in to fix stuff was injured for this game and you know, for Huddersfield, you really saw they just didn't have that striker focal point. You know, Sorba Thomas and Josh Caroma, players who've given moments. They're, they're certainly moments players for Huddersfield, um, but they, they're, like, they're also not strikers, are they? They're not strikers, and I think that's the thing. You saw them playing with their, you know, back to goal, holding it up, and that's that's not their style of play. So it's it's really hard because um, I think the fans are certainly, you know. From from doing our podcast, I think they're not happy with Darren Moore. And like you said, that the style of football is uninspiring. But I think it's just there's so many excuses you can make for him. I'm kind of torn myself because you know what I'm seeing isn't great, but it's it's hard to know if he's any good or not because I just think the circumstances are difficult. And I think the unfortunate thing for for Darren Moore is it's been years of kind of mismanagement and from the previous ownership and not really building, selling your best players, not really investing in, in the team. And I think mm. it's just really caught up with him. So it, I almost feel for Darren Moore, he needed to be the guy after the guy. So not the guy to replace Neil Warren, but maybe someone in between and come in and I don't think fans would be on his back as much. But um, it's an interesting time because like you say, you know, Chef Wednesday have looked good, QPR, I know we talked about them dropping off. But um, I think if, if I'm honest, and as much as I hate to say it, if Huddersfield got relegated this season, um, probably deserve it because they've, they've, they've got <laughs> they shouldn't have got out of it last season and been in and around there. So um, as much as it hates me to say that, I think the frustrating thing is wouldn't I see these games and there's a lot of draws in there and you just think actually it wouldn't it wouldn't take much you know it doesn't actually take much for Huddersfield to to get out of this but here they are <laughs> you know still still there. I think we've seen with Sheffield Wednesday haven't they? they they went on a run of five wins and eight and we were talking about that and whilst they've got a worse goal difference than Huddersfield they've lost far more games than Huddersfield if you can string a result like a, win, a run of wins together and get five wins and eight Huddersfield don't feel like a team capable of doing that right now for me they're, they're probably a team that could go five games unbeaten but there'll be three draws in mm. there Whereas Wednesday managed to get five wins in it, and that's pulled them right up and given them a chance of getting out. I suppose you, the probably the the thing for Huddersfield, you're probably hoping Plymouth for the team most in a state of flux. Could they get dragged in? Could a big ten million pound offer come in for Morgan Whitaker before the end of the window and tempt them into a sale? Ian Foster, you know, he's got all the the exciting coaching coaching pedigree um of Schumacher and Lowe and, and all, all before and I do think Plymouth one of the best run clubs in the country, certainly in the FL. Um but it catches up to you if you have if you lose that many players in one. I suppose for Huddersfield, as much as keeping that one eye on Wednesday and what's below them, it's also about who you can pull in as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is, you know, dis- disrespect to Plymouth. I, I think they they are run exceptionally well and you know, there's a lot of things I admire about them and I wish Huddersfield were like, but I just think I always kind of felt it, championships a tough division, and 
I, I just think, you know, resources, they do unfortunately catch up, you know, wage budgets and resources eventually do do catch up with you. And like you say, it's a bit of a state of flux. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see where we Foster, but um, they're the one I'm looking at really because I, I know we've talked about Blackburn being awful, but I don't think they're going to be in relegation battle. I, I think if Huddersfield, yes, like you say, as much as they need to look over their shoulder, I think there's teams you can drag into it and maybe play this one, one of them for me. Um yeah, it's, it's really hard to judge. You know, our owner said um, he, he wants six signings by the end of the window. We've made two so far and it depends on the, the quality of those additions. And I think that's the thing about it, so it just needs mm-hmm. to be quality additions because, you know, like I say, a lot of draws in there. So we are competitive. It's just, like you say, I just, at the moment in time, I can't see Huddersfield doing, doing what Wednesday doing, winning five. I couldn't see us being competitive in, 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 in games, but I just, I don't think we have that. We don't have that killer up front, really, and that, or the creativity to, to make goals. You know, even even the goal they scored against Plymouth, I think Plymouth fans could be hard, hard done by because Alex Matos uh, a foul in the build-up for me for our equalizer. Oh, so, yeah, foul, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough season. Um, yeah, I just I just like a a, te- a season of mid-table mediocrity for one Elliot, but it'll never happen. <laughs> No, can't be the way. I suppose Birmingham's another club they'd like to to draw in. Um, they were they've appointed Tony Mowbray as their new manager. I think it's an incredibly sensible appointment after the car crash that was Wayne Rooney and getting rid of John Eustace. I like Mowbray a lot. Obviously, covered um, the back end of his tenure at Blackburn, and yeah, I just think he will instantly improve the players. He'll instantly give them more confidence. And Birmingham's squad is far better than where they are in the, the league at the minute. They were sixth when Eustace got sacked, um, 20th when Rooney got booted out. So I, I feel like they will improve and they will probably pull clear. Um, they had loads of chances in this two-all draw Swansea to, to get a first win under Mowbray and yet needed a, a 90th-minute strike from Jordan James, who's been who probably was the one player who certainly came on under Wayne Rooney, scored a lot of goals is registering a lot of interest uh, from Atlanta, Atlanta weirdly, in, in Serie A, which is not where you'd particularly expect a young Welsh midfielder to crop up. But he's been a bright spot, scored a great equaliser for them, and I think it would have been very harsh if Mowbray's first game had been a defeat at Birmingham. Really good appointment, and I like the uh, a bit of common sense finally being applied at St Andrews after a, a, a strange old couple of months. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed where you'll get an episode from us every single week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24. And a huge thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cars Accepted, for their support this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fee, make sure you check them out at carsaccepted.co.uk. My thanks to Brady for stepping into the breach. Uh, Brady, where can people find you and your podcast if they want a little bit more specificness on Huddersfield Town. Uh, well, I, I doubt they want to unless we have a big loss or whatever and you want to hear us moan. But yeah, it's Andy Takes That Chance, uh, which you will be on this week, Elliot, previewing the Black. I am. I'm looking forward to coming back on, previewing the show with you guys uh, tomorrow as head of uh, the game at Ewood Park, Blackburn against Huddersfield at the weekend, which which could be a big game for both teams with the way that the form is shaping up. Thank you for listening as always and we will catch you next week on another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.